0: Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp. digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the podcast, we have Eric Melkor from OptiMonk. And as I understand it, OptiMonk helps brands sort of personalize and create uh, custom experiences on the site so that they can uh, make more relevant content. And he is the Partnerships and Personalization Ambassador. Uh, Beyond that, uh, Eric uh, is big in uh, European startups as a podcast host. He is a self-proclaimed mediocre tennis player and also... uh, Founded FlyMovement.org, uh, a nonprofit focused on, uh, I guess, youth health and, and tracking them. And this is based in Texas. So, Erica, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, George. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. And I will say it was, uh, you know, it's interesting how various guests find their way here. And in this case, I have to hand it to you. Uh, you wore me down on email honestly. And the way I will say this, the way you did it was very clever because, you know, after a number of these, I'll just be honest, they get a lot of random, Hey, look at our software, look at our software. You actually did the homework, listened to a podcast, and then asked me uh, the following question. How does the moon cut his hair? To which I had to see the answer. And it was, he eclipses it. Um, Perfect. I was just perfect. I was like, damn it. He has my attention now. Uh, yeah. Clearly, that's your job getting people's attention and then moving that toward a goal, a conversion. Can you tell me a little bit about uh, your work and your approach?
1: Yeah. Well, George, I-, I guess a question for you. Have you ever gotten a handwritten letter before?
0: I have gotten a handwritten letter before from not my mom, but I have gotten <laughs> handwritten ones from my mom
1: as okay. well. Okay. And it probably you probably felt delighted, right? You probably, it gave you a sense of importance, right? That feeling. And so with OptiMac, uh, we try to give marketers the tools that they need to give that feeling of delightfulness and importance to their website visitors in real time. Uh, Like you mentioned, we are a website personalization platform uh, that allows you to create different messages for different segments. And those segments can be people like your VIP donors, maybe they are new visitors to your website who uh, you know nothing about. Maybe they're visitors from a specific channel, maybe like a a volunteer website, or maybe somebody who just made a donation. And so what we do is uh, give marketers the opportunity and the tools, very easy to do by the way, it's mostly a drag and drop interface and you don't need to have any coding experience, but to just take a step back and, and, and ask yourself, Okay, if I was in this visitor's shoes, and if I was a person that didn't know about my NGO, what is a good experience for that person? Or if I just made a donation, what would be a good post experience for a post donation? And, and once you have the answers to those questions, then we give you the, uh, the ability to craft that experience uh, in real time for your website, for, those, for your audience, for those visitors.
0: And I'm curious we'll be shifting our, our conversation to how how we get those conversions and different tactics uh, for, for doing that. I'm curious though, how, how that's achieved given the clamp down on third-party cookies and the ability to like understand who someone is, right? When someone shows up to the site, like I go there, you don't know that I am George. You know that I am maybe coming from California because of my IP address. What are the ways that I am beginning to customize somebody based on
1: who they are
0: versus what they do?
1: Yeah, it's all dependent on the type of browser they use. Um, so it's it's really based on cookies. If they're using Safari, we will recognize that data for, unfortunately, for maybe just seven days. But if they're using Google Chrome, then we can actually know who they are and recognize them for up to about a year. Um, so it's dependent on the, browsing that, the browser that somebody's using, and it's all based on cookies. Gotcha.
0: So are, I mean, do you have concerns? We actually just released an episode about the you know, cookie apocalypse, as we're joking, and how cookies are just going to get mowed over by updates, you know, obviously we've already seen it in Apple, in the land of Apple, uh, but they could be coming for browsers like Chrome. You know, how do you view that as you know, a, a shift in the landscape of personalization?
1: Uh, we kind of welcome it because we are investing a lot in zero party data. And it's, it's really actually, let me just take a step back. What is zero party data? Zero party data is the data that's actually based on directly from your visitor. And so if, if you have somebody that comes to your website, you know, nothing about them. But maybe you just have like a a nice message for them that just says, Hey, we want to make this experience as pleasurable as possible for you. Can you just let us know, are you somebody interested in volunteering? Are you an individual donor? Are you maybe a corporate donor or something else? And once they, they make an answer, then you already know a little bit about that person and you could probably take them to the part of the website. That's most valuable to them. But you can also, once they made that answer, you kind of tag them. And then put them into a segment that can also be carried over to your email marketing programs and initiatives as well. And so, a lot of our the brands who use OptiMonk really take advantage of our um, what we call conversational messaging. And you know, this like I mentioned, there, there's different ways to start that conversation, but one of the most popular ways is just have a message that appears uh, when somebody goes on your website. And again, it's asking you know, what are you interested in? You know, can you tell us who you are? You know, it's, it's, it's basically like a welcome and, and really trying to hold that person's hand and just take them to the part of the website that makes sense for them. And so we're not relying too much on the cookie-level data because a lot of the shift has been over towards, how do you start that conversation? How do you get that engagement? How do you start those micro-engagements so where you can start letting the person know that you're there to educate them provide value and hold their hand and that's where we're seeing a shift toward a lot of the top e-commerce brands start doing that at the very beginning
0: gotcha so it's a chat interface or it's a pop-up or it's a form somewhere that says what are you up to here
1: yeah yeah and i think there's a big opportunity for ngos because ngos in my opinion most of them are focused on that donate now button I think 99% of NGOs you go to, that's the main call to action. It's donate now. And you really have to look for uh, where to sign up for the newsletter. I mean, I was doing a little bit of research this morning, for example, worldwildlife.org I had a hard time finding out where to subscribe to the newsletters. You got to go at the very bottom. And there's like a little text link that says subscribe same thing with charitywater.org and another uh, NGO called st. right? It's like, they're hiding it for some reason. They're hiding that, that part of what could be a really good experience because not everybody, just like in the, in the for-profit world, not everybody is purchase ready. And when it comes to NGOs, not everybody is ready to make a donation right there and then. And so I think they're missing out on the opportunity to collect or basically try to get somebody's email. So you can continue that conversation. Tell them your story, tell them more about you. So when they are ready to make a donation they can go back to your website and do just that. So it, it's, there's very easy things that NGOs can do now to actually grow their subscriber list. Uh, and I could share a few of those you know, with you during our conversation.
0: Well, that's great. I think we are on the same team when it comes to believing that the the, the smartest ask, the lowest friction, highest yield play for social impact organizations is around getting that email, that permission to communicate, to borrow from Seth Godin, that permission to communicate list is that first and most important asset. Because again, not just for the purposes of donation, but for awareness, identity alignment, for social change, you need that communication bridge. And it's one that you own as, uh, as far as it goes, you don't own that Twitter follow you don't own that LinkedIn. Like you don't own any thing built on somebody else's land.
1: Yeah. Do you know how powerful that email is? And so years ago, God, it's been almost 10 years, but I created an NGO back in Houston, uh, and I ran it for five years, ended it in 2018. And, um, when I ended it, I stopped sending out emails or updates about the initiative. I I went back into MailChimp and I looked at my list and I I was doing something that was related to, to that NGO years ago. And I thought it'd be great to just kind of let people know what I was doing. I sent a campaign out literally four weeks ago to that list that I have not communicated with in over five years. And my open rate was above 30%. And so it is so powerful where just like you said, it's like those people. They're not necessarily following you on Instagram or maybe Twitter or TikTok or maybe they are, but whatever you own that, that is like an asset that even if you don't use it, you know, on a consistent basis, you should you definitely should, but over time, you could actually send out a campaign with the thoughtful headline, you know, good educational, valuable content, and you're, you're still going to get eyeballs on it. So very important. So that's the most important thing you can do, as you said. right so
0: let's jump into it Uh, and maybe we can go back and forth with ideas because i really wanted to, to generate a little bit of value for the folks listening in terms of what they should be doing and i love talking about this in q1 where you should be building your list you know planning planting the seeds before the tree digging the well before you're thirsty insert metaphor here for here give me one of your more clever ideas for acquiring emails as a social impact organization, what do you
1: got? Yeah. I mean, this one, this one to me is a no brainer and it's called, we call it sort of an exit intent pop-up. And so e-commerce brands use this. If somebody's trying to leave the website and maybe they had something in their cart and it's like a little pop-up message that reminds them, Hey, you know, these, these are the items that are in your shopping cart or, Hey, before you leave, you know, here's like a 10, 10% off coupon or something. But if you're a, a nonprofit, uh, you can use the same tactic. I mean, anybody that's when they leave your website or they hit the, uh, uh the back button on the browse button, uh, is just have a, like a little pop-up message that just says, Hey, do you want to stay in the know and get our emails? And just have that little message there, um, appear when they are trying to leave your website and we see on average that that will give you email subscribers anywhere in the range of eight to 12%, which is actually much higher than trying to get somebody's email at the very beginning when you really don't know anything about them and they haven't even started browsing your website or clicking around. Um, so that's like one thing that I would highly recommend that NGOs start testing or experimenting with.
0: And I love the fact that you put the caveat exit intent. I get very nervous when I see nonprofits throwing a pop up in the uh, time to first screen and interrupting the content uh, layout and risking content layout shifts of the site load, which is a fancy way of saying, don't piss off Google with your pop-ups because you will be hurting more than you are helping. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on board with the exit intent.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, another idea.
0: <laughs> Go, yeah, what have we got?
1: <laughs> okay, another idea, and I'm on, I'm, I'm on the same page with you. So I do not want to show any pop-ups during this entire experience. What, what we have in this, in, in, in this platform, and I'm sure other platforms have the same thing, is, is what we call a teaser. And a teaser is just like a little message that can fit like in the lower left-hand corner of your website. And it's like a little message that just says, hey, get our emails to stay in the know, you know? And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really stand out, but it does catch attention. Um, and if somebody wants to, if somebody's curious, and they want to click on that to see more information than they can. And once it's clicked on, then obviously, uh, like a pop-up would appear. And it says, you know, you know, get our newsletters to stay in the know. Please enter your name and email address right there. So that's probably the second thing that I would recommend after the X and intent pop-up message. I like
0: it. Uh, well, I think I like it. I want I see it, to see it in practice. You know, it, I feel like there can be a bit of a... Uh, malaise that sets in with layout-based email asks, right? They're like, oh, just stick it in your footer, or stick it in your header, or stick it in the sidebar. You know, that that sort of basic block and tackle of like, are, is it around there? And then like eventually the, the person that's amazing, they can just sort of have screen blindness to these things. Uh, and so, you anyway, know, I feel like some things can get lost. Um, one I really like that I kind of go to is uh, uh, various ideas framed around a content locker being like, here is a bit of information for free, but here is the entire list of 101 Dalmatians. And if you want the entire list of 101 Dalmatians, hand over your email and we will give it to you right here.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if that works, then great. You could probably, you know, continue using that. I didn't think of that, of that one for NGOs. Um, but what's important though, I think, no matter what, is that you have the right message for the right target, right? And so if you have specific landing pages and you know that, hey, on these landing pages, uh, it's probably a good opportunity to try and capture somebody's email address for somebody who is not yet ready to make a donation, uh, but we don't wanna lose them. Um, and so on those specific pages, then you could you know, present some sort of content uh, that could be very appealing, such as, hey, if you wanna get the hundred list of 101 Dalmatians, you know, sign up here and we'll, we'll get it to you. So I think there's key landing pages that maybe are appropriate for that.
0: All right. What else do you got?
1: Um, well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, those are the two tactics that I would try first, obviously donate. Now is is the main call to action for NGOs, but the exit intent, the teaser pop up and then the right message will be the other thing that I think is very, very, uh, important. The right message, if an NGO is doing any sort of like paid media advertising, maybe on Facebook ads, and so you have traffic come into your website and you know that these people probably never heard of you and they didn't come in through, you know, organically, but they came in through a paid ad, then on that landing page would be another opportunity to where you could have very targeted messaging for those visitors dependent on the ad. And so if that ad, that messaging that was on the ad itself make it very appealing, and make sure that it's it's the same sort of messaging or value proposition that's on the headline of that landing page. And I think once you have that, then it's it's much easier to try and get the um, the email uh, the email ask uh, once you have your ad aligned with your landing page headline. And so that would that would be the third tactic.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the value proposition because.
1: Along the way, you, you
0: mentioned you have a news uh, a newsletter pop-up saying, like, get the newsletter from us. And that's one of those, like, sort of, like, triggering things for me when I see an organization trying to make their unique selling proposition. Hey there, user, would you like another email in your inbox? Do you know where people, if you walk around being like, you know what, do you need me to hit you in the hand with a hammer? Because I have one. I'll do it you sure you need another email in your inbox. So I like that you said value proposition. Can you tell me anything about your approach, anything maybe the product does or what you've seen for message testing and getting away from, I will say the dreaded, like you need another email.
1: Yeah. Um, humanizing the, the copy, um, the brands that we work with, those that tend to have the higher conversion rates in terms of getting email subscribers, are the ones where the copy is, uh, is humanized. And what I mean by that, like off the top of my head, I think really good emails.com, they've got a pop up and it says something like, um, hey, sorry to be an a-hole and interrupt your experience here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I mean, it's just it's just really good copy that captures your attention and you end up reading the entire message and uh, you know, it's got this, it's got this humorous component, human touch. You know that it wasn't like standard copy and paste corporate type messaging. So if you can do anything that maybe could put a, make somebody laugh, and uh, uh, you know that oh wow, this person, you know, or this organization, uh, uh, they're trying this, you know, human humanize uh, this approach, this human centric approach, uh, that works well too.
0: There's a term in, in marketing communications and copywriting, of uh, grabbing a, a swipe file and creating a swipe file. <clears throat> and this is just a, a funny way of saying, like, you should go around and shop for any you see something like that, something clever, a good framing in and around adjacent or even not adjacent communication and, and, and save it and sort of prime your mind with ways of doing that because I think... You're, you're right. You need to have something that breaks the third wall, something that stops the normal train of consume and move. And so, you know, I dare say interrupt, but rather entertain is a, a good framing and a good approach. And and too often, just because a nonprofit works on serious issues doesn't mean they always need to be serious. There, There's a line there. Um, and I think it's possible to skate on both sides. Um, and you know, your point—I don't know—would work on a you know world animal protection. Being like, sorry to f and interrupt here. You know, we were busy yeah. with this tiger, but get on this email. Uh, you know, you want to be careful. But uh, when it comes to when it comes to AB testing, though, because we're going to come up with a clever idea, cool, does it work? Can you tell me a bit about your approach to AB testing? messages like this
1: yeah i mean that's what we recommend for all brands to do it's very easy e- very easy to do within our platform uh i'm not sure if you knew this george but google is sunsetting optimizely i think starting oh, on october don't get me started on the
0: number of things google is sunsetting that has me infuriated number one universal analytics number two is optimized. Like number three is just the fact that they're rebranding Data Studio as Looker because they got Looker and now they're just getting rid of Data Studio, but it's like pretty much the same functionality. But I'm you know what Google? Just yeah. stop it. Come on. Yeah, it's yeah. Sorry, but rant I mean... end rant. Continue before I interrupted. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but that, that's the main thing that you should be testing. You can test headlines, you know, with A-B testing. With the messaging, like for pop-ups, asking for an email subscriber. You can test different pop-ups that have a different image, different copy, or maybe even the different pop-up itself. Maybe an exit intent pop-up versus another side message pop-up. There's all kinds of A-B testing that you can do within our platform. And uh, you can see, you know, the results in real time. Also with the degree of statistical um, a uh, significant as well, you know, if it's at least 90% or better, we show that too, um, as, as well. But, uh, the humorous approach, I mean, how did I get your attention, George? You know, you, I sent an email and I don't think I got a response and I followed up with, uh, with a joke, right? And so, it works if that is your personality. You know, if that is, if you're being authentic and you're being genuine, um, it works, right? And so if you're an, if you're an organization and you're very professional and very corporate like, it's probably not going to work if you, first of all, it's not even going to get past compliance and legal. They're they're not even going to allow that, but it really works well if that is your personality type. And I I would say that I'm able to get a response back to more than 90% of people that who don't know who I am, but I end up sending them, you know, a code email or something. And I add a touch of humor uh, because people, people want to work with people they like. And if you can make somebody laugh, then you, that's, that's half the battle already. They're like, oh, wow, you know, this guy put a smile on my face. And it, the same thing works with, with trying to get somebody's email, maybe even trying to get somebody to donate, right? And it's engaging. It's like a fun micro engagement that I don't see brands take advantage of um, enough in this day and age.
0: Well, certainly in, in your approach, like, look, you're, you're proof proof to that statement right now, right? You got through, I'd say, a fairly high barrier of me ignoring the heck out of everything that comes in uh, to my attention. The point, though, also is, as a tactic, you know, if you're doing that type of cold outreach, which, you know, fundraisers and communications folks do when you're trying to get the attention of the CSR director at so and so, when you're trying to get, yeah just a conversation at maybe the 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 grant manager at what you might call it trust I think going back to what is your value proposition and how are you positioning who you are and what it is like humor has value um and it communicates more than maybe we we realize Would I enjoy talking with this person. Does this person both see the cause, see the issue, see the world, and you know how you know how humans really do orient around humor I think is, is undersold in in what I see around social impact communication and certainly just as a tactic. And I think there's a lot to borrow. I think there's a lot to borrow here from, you know, I'll, I'll see this, this tactic more from, you know, folks that are, we'll call it smile dialing and emailing (laughs) for, (laughs) for attention, but there's a lot I think nonprofits could borrow. What do you think about that?
1: absolutely um when i was at bonjuro and people would come on board for like a free trial you know all of us we would try to send uh, a personal video and i found that once i started telling people jokes specifically like cheesy dad jokes like hey when does a joke become a dad joke when it becomes a parent 20 of people would respond with a video of their own and tell me a dad joke you know and it, it just it just, really, it just really broke down barriers, started the conversation and the conversion rates compared to just anybody a personal video and just saying, hey, hi, welcome to have you on board. Um, it blew those you know, through the roof. I mean, significantly higher when you, when you try to add humor. I do the same thing on LinkedIn too. Um, when I connect with somebody and it's somebody that I do wanna engage with, you know, if I just send them uh, a really nice message even with a little dad joke or whatever, I actually get a lot of responses back. People were sending me jokes as well. So, uh, I think it—if it, you can put a smile on somebody's face—it um, just really opens the door for further communication. Just as it did with you, you and myself here. Um, and that kind of clever, that kind of humorous approach really works well for any sort of organization that is trying to start that conversation, that initial conversation, uh, whether it be a customer, potential donor maybe somebody that they just want to continue that communication with in the form of a newsletter or email. And it works, you know, it works. It's been working for me over the past three, four years. And uh, I've had nothing but great, you know, great results from it and created lots of different friendships, relationships and contacts uh, because of that approach. Well, there you have,
0: we had, we had to get you to minute 26 of this podcast, but there it is. There's the gem for you. You can stop listening. Dad jokes. Dad jokes convert. Simply put, you could stop listening now or maybe there's more, but there's probably not. Uh, I you're, you're talking to somebody who has taken great pride in the fact that we index, I think, positions, whatever, one, two, or three in the top, top few for nonprofit jokes uh, because I thought it was funny. And I just put a bunch of dad jokes as nonprofit jokes. Uh, <laughs> simply because. Uh, simply because. But getting back to the idea of A-B testing, I think this is critical uh, because just setting it and forgetting it uh, is betraying the point of doing the work in the first place. Do you have any stories or anecdotes or testimonies of being like, you know, I did this thing and then suddenly the conversion rate doubled, right? That dream of like 2X it because here's the power of that. And I don't think we we get it. When you double a conversion rate, you have doubled your effective ad spend. You have doubled the efficacy of all of the hours of work you put into writing content. You've doubled the downstream net income that comes from the value per email. It it is so powerful and it takes sort of so little time, but it is so overlooked. And I like, I try to frame it in different ways, but do you have, what is your stump speech on this? Do you have any stories?
1: Yeah, uh, I remember when Again, back to the personal video and welcoming somebody that, that was coming for a free trial for Bonjour. I, um, I started experimenting with, after I said the dad joke, right? Where we could tell if it was like a SaaS company or if it was an NGO or if it was an e-commerce uh, company uh, or if it was like an agency or something else. And if we were, if we knew that information, um, we would see it before we would send out the video. And what I would do is the call to action would be specifically for that specific industry. And we had case studies. So for example, uh, if you were an agency, we had case studies about agency owners who started using Bonjuro and they were able to get more clients and more demo calls uh, because they were sending out personal videos. If you were in the education space, we had a case study on a university that started using Bonjuro and um, they saw that application rates started, you know, went up like 25% because they were sending out personal videos to potential new students uh, at the university. And so once I started including a specific call to action that was tied to that industry in the in the video that I was sending out, the conversion rates went more than doubled. I mean, we were seeing click-through rates go from on average from like 15% to like over 35, 45%. And we knew that we had a winner right there just because we recognize who they were, uh, and once we, were able to recognize who they were? Then you know we could insert content that was most appealing for them. In the case of a website, right? Um, A/B testing, you know, different headlines or different value propositions for the different uh, visitors that are coming in from different segments. And so, with a platform, with the personalization platform, it should have the ability to trigger a different headline a different copy a different image or a different graphic based on the source so if you want to if you're doing you know a lot of visitors you have a lot of visitors from instagram or maybe facebook you can actually show them a different message um, on that landing page but even better do an a b test where you have two different messages trying to appeal to visitor, visitors or maybe you don't even want to a b test the headline maybe you just have a regular experience but for 50 percent of the visitor visitors you're asking them a survey. And on that survey, you have a few questions that you're asking them. So you can do different things um, uh, based on the source of where they're coming from. Um, Also, you know, based on um, uh, uh, the type of visitor. So maybe it's a returning visitor. Maybe it's a VIP customer. You already have them in your CRM and you already know who they are. Um, And then also, you know, new visitors as well. You can also A-B test. with those visitors as well. So starting to get carried off there, but yeah, it's a fun approach. I always, my, my philosophy is you can't really call yourself a marketer if you don't do AP testing. Point, point break.
0: Well, you can call yourself whatever you want. You can't call yourself a good marketer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Uh, I think also with, with nonprofits, they have access to other other means, including not limited to the Google ad grant, which is 10K a month in kind of That's... search advertising. Now you can tune and fix all day on the top of that funnel and get you know after a certain point diminishing returns on, on that traffic. But looking at the landing pages, looking at what you do with that traffic once it's on your site, like you can then look down the marketing funnel. And then remember, when you get those improvements, it magnifies the value of that attention because you're converting it, turning it into the permission to talk to somebody. But it's only through that uh, that activity of uh, of A/B testing. Yeah. All right,
1: yeah yeah you're bringing back memories. I remember when I started my nonprofit I didn't find out about that program to like over a year and when I did oh, find gosh. out I'm like why didn't anybody <laughs> tell me about this you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well I mean whole well we have uh, free resources on how to set that grant up to maximize it and what you can get out of it we spent a lot of time trying to give away that information um, We even have a, a trained cohort coming up where um, you know that, Nonprofits, limited 25 of them, can uh, can be a part of it uh, because it's such a powerful tool. But it's also, you know, it, it's important because all that glitters is in gold. There's a diminishing return after maximizing it. And then it's mm-hmm. just about managing it efficiently for uh, what it's good for. So before you run off, if you've never heard of this before, be like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to start a nonprofit just to get this grant. And I'm going to take over the world. Like, eh, Read the article first.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
0: all right. Eric. Anything else that you wanna leave with our audience as a, a tip or guidance on the upside of personalization?
1: Yeah, website personalization is a bit like Google Analytics. And everybody thinks that, oh, I know how to use Google Analytics because they figured out, figured out how to create an account and get it working. Um, but the thing is, is that you really wanna to try to go to get as much education as you can, maybe go to a workshop. We have free workshops free website personalization boot camps. I actually conduct those and we walk you through our process and we actually show you a lot of uh, the best practices that top companies do, small and mid-sized organizations on how they use website personalization and we provide free resources along with like a checklist. And based on that checklist, you actually will uncover um, the top ideas and experiments that you can do that are gonna give you the biggest ROI based off the reach, the impact, and um, the expected effort. And so once you have that, then you have an idea in terms of what should be the priorities of what I should focus on next. And then we also have like playbooks on how you can implement those for, uh, for your website. So um, that URL is just Optimonk.com forward slash bootcamp. And that that's the uh, what I highly recommend that if you want to learn more about website personalization, then check that out.
0: Well, we normally end our show with rapid fire. I'm going to cherry pick some out of there because typically we're talking to nonprofit leaders and focused conversations. But I'm going to throw some random questions at you. Uh, please keep your answers super short. And here we go. Okay. What is one tech tool that you've started using in the past year?
1: You one cannot tab. say Optima. What is it? One tab. One tab. Yeah. Have you heard of this, George? No, what is this? No. So, you know, every marketer has like 50 or 60 tabs open, and it makes your website, you know, your, your computer runs slow. Anyway, um, if it's for Google Chrome, and you can use it in – it basically just kind of hides and, and saves in the back, keeps it, keeps it in the back, all those tabs, and you can very quickly uh, find them. But it just saves a lot of memory, um, you know, while you're using Chrome, and you don't have to have 50 tabs open. You can just have one or two. Called tap
0: What is one tech dragon, tech problem issue that you are currently battling with?
1: Uh, uh, text Expander. This is another third party tool. Um, it's a great tool that allows you just to just type a few different keys in and it'll auto populate the rest of the message. But the this problem is GPT-3 game? No. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem that I found out is that if you have LinkedIn open at the same time, LinkedIn um, thinks that you're using it as sort of an automation tool to try and connect with people or auto message people on LinkedIn. And so I actually had my LinkedIn account like like paused for like 24 hours because of this thing. Um, so that's the thing that I'm currently battling called Text Expander. It's a good tool, but you just can't have LinkedIn open or can't have it open when you're using LinkedIn. Uh,
0: what advice did your parents give you that you either followed or didn't follow?
1: Uh, uh... I would say the advice, it was not so much like words, the advice, but more of actions. And uh, (laughs) like my dad, when we were kids, he had this like mini Mitsubishi truck. And I remember the windshield wipers stopped working and he never replaced them. And so it'd be like raining and he would, you know, be trying to drive out there in the middle of the night and couldn't see, couldn't see. And I've always just, it's not necessarily advice, but it's one of those things that you learn from and you, you learn like what not to do as a parent. And now that I'm a parent, it's like, that's something, you know, stupid things like that I would never do.
0: Who is the most important mentor that you've had and how did you come across them?
1: Oh, uh, my most important mentor would be secondary mentors. And so oh, that's just a lot of different books. everything from, well, oh God, Napoleon to, um, uh, even, even Lincoln and, and different coaches like Pat Summit, Vince Lombardi, um, did a lot of reading when I was younger. I just didn't really have a lot of access to good mentors um, or people in my family. Um, you know, I'm first college graduate in my family, so uh, secondary mentors were just a lot of books that I that I read. So many.
0: What is something you think you should stop doing?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm really happy with my life right now and the person that I am, the parent that I am, father that I am, the husband that I am. I think of one thing that comes to mind is um, I haven't written any handwritten letters to my family, I think in over a year. And so that's something that I should start doing. But that's like the first thing that comes to mind. And, oh, I know what I should stop doing, eating, eating candy and junk food. When I go to bed, like it's 10 p.m., I go to bed and I go grab some candy bar and I'm eating that. That's that's what I should stop doing.
0: Yeah, you got to put the gremlin law into effect. No feeding after a certain period of time.
1: Yeah, yeah. My wife is uh, to blame for that one.